because sometimes I will call those out and just go there so fast that it doesn't need time to get there. This way, you can kind of see, this is where I'm going to head, and, um, and we'll get there. So, um, let us pray again for the Word of God uh, to go forth and be powerful uh, in this room this morning, um, because, again, I, I'm struck every morning before church um, with just... Um, the awesome task that it is to proclaim the Word of God. Um, and I look in the mirror and I say, oh my, I need you to teach this morning. And again, I'm in that same boat today. Father, I need you, we need you to superintend this time in your Word. We need your Holy Spirit to guide and teach us I pray this morning that you would remove distractions from our heart and mind, the things that maybe we are struggling with this morning, that we would set those aside so that your Holy Spirit could just meet us in those places and that you could um, have your way with us and have your way in this room. And Lord, those things that are not of you this morning, could we just um, not heed those, not hear them, that the only thing that would uh, penetrate our hearts, our minds, and our souls would be the very word that you would speak. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 So Galatians chapter 3. I'm going to begin by reading through the whole chapter, and then we will jump in and see what the Lord has for us this morning. Galatians 3, verse 1. O foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? It was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. Let me ask you only this. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Are you so foolish, having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? Did you suffer so many things in vain, if indeed it was in vain? Does he who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you do so by the works of the law or by hearing with faith? Just as Abraham believed God, it was accounted to him as righteousness. Know then that this, that it is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham. And the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, In you shall all the nations be blessed. So then, those who are of faith are blessed, along with Abraham, the man of faith. For all who rely on the works of the law are under a curse, for it is written, Cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law and do them. Now it is evident that no one is justified before God by the law. For the righteous shall live by faith. Amen. But the law is not of faith, rather. The one who does them shall live by them. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. So that in Christ Jesus the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles, so that we might receive the promised Holy Spirit through faith. To give a human example, brothers, even with a man-made covenant, no one annuls it or adds to it once it has been ratified. Now the promises were made to Abraham and to his offspring. It does not say, and to offsprings, referring to many, but referring to one. And to your offspring, who is Christ. This is what I mean. The law, which came 430 years afterwards, does not annul a covenant previously ratified by God, so as to make the promise void. For if the inheritance comes by the law, it no longer comes by promise. But God gave it to Abraham by a promise. Why then the law? 
It was added because of transgressions, until the offspring should come to whom the promise had been made, and was put in place through angels by an intermediary. Now an intermediary implies more than one, but God is one. Is the law then contrary to the promises of God? Certainly not. For if a law had been given that could give life, then righteousness would indeed be by the law. But the scripture imprisoned everything under sin, so that the promise by faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe. Now before faith came, we were held captive under the law, imprisoned until the coming faith would be revealed. So then the law was our guardian until Christ came, in order that we might be justified by faith. But now that faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian. For in Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God through faith. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is no male and female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to the promise. This is the word of God. Thanks be to God. This is a great text of scripture. It is really good. And um, it, it's one, of course, that, as I talked about approaching this with, with fear and trepidation, because the letter opens with a pretty stark, oh, you foolish Galatians. Well, <clears throat> it's sort of a test. I've looked at this as a test. Well, I want to get us kind of in context of where we ended up last week so we can kind of see where we're going to go. Uh, this week. So last week we asked the question for us to examine in our own lives, why did Christ die? And ultimately we answered that question by declaring that he died, that the wrath of God that has been revealed from heaven would not fall upon you and me, the ones who deserve it, but that Christ absorbed the wrath of God in our stead. We further discovered that when we consider our state outside of Christ, any attempts that we have made or tried to make to save ourselves actually further entraps us and imprisons us. Then when we reflect on that truth, we realize that we have so much to celebrate. Because Christ indeed has set us free from us, that he has set me free from me, he has set you free from you. And so today, we come to worship and make much of God. That is my aim. I want to make much of God. When I make much of God, there's always a thing that I must realize that I have to make little of me. In order to make much of God, I have to make little of me. And I think that this text in Galatians clearly points that out. To make much of God, make little of yourself. That's why he addresses the beginning of this chapter with, oh, foolish Galatians. You've made much of yourself, haven't you? And I couldn't help but think of Philippians chapter 2. It says this, So if there's any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interest, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, 
And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Amen? Does that not solidify our position? Our humble Christ, our humble example, our humble Savior who came and lived amongst us, who didn't think that equality with God was a thing for him to hang on to, but he emptied himself to be one of us, to be in the midst of one of us, to speak the very word of God in his flesh to us. That is a humbling, humbling thought to me that the God of the universe would do that. And because of that humbling position, then we start to think right-minded and think much of God. I want to make much of God, and I want you to make much of God. Well, I was thinking about this as we were thinking about the context of where we've been since I'm going way back now. So I'm going to go back to uh, August of last year. And when we talked as a body about where uh, we were going to take from the early church teaching in the book of Acts and where we were going to go, that we were going together. That, that God doesn't just speak to me uh, through his word and then he takes me on a journey. But as we unfold the word of God together, that God takes you and I on the same journey together. And as we go down this journey proclaiming the truths that we have all along, right, that anything that we do in the gospel is by the power of the Holy Spirit, right, that it is the Holy Spirit who empowers us to proclaim the truth of the gospel. When we look at what the fullness of the gospel is, the life, the death, the resurrection of Jesus Christ, right, all of these things, as we've gone down this path, and, I, and, and it just happens to be that as we get to the book of Galatians, as we're tracking chronologically through the book of Acts, and we finish chapter 14, we find that that is where Paul writes this letter to the Galatians. Well, when we get there, I'm like, how do we apply, how do I apply this statement here, oh foolish Galatians? What is it that Paul is trying to communicate at that time, I think that for us, the application is this. It's checking in with each other. Comes a time we've traveled down this road, and now it's time to check in. And how do we check in? Just like we do in school. It's a pop quiz. So today, I'm going to give you a pop quiz. And now, here's the thing. I hope you don't fail the pop quiz. But if you do... Realize this, that the pop quiz is just preparing you for the final exam. Because you're going to get a chance. You're going to get a chance. In the final exam, you'll either get it right or totally wrong. But if you get it wrong today, there's still hope. Okay? There's still hope. So listen carefully, because the Word of God is going to tell us. Paul is going to tell us, after he gives us the quiz, he's going to give us the answer. And I was thinking about a time that I went rushing into school... And I'm, I'm remembering that I had not completed my previous night's reading of Jeffrey Chaucer. And I walk in, and I sit down, and the instructor stands up there and he says, Here's a sheet of paper, and I'm going to ask you a few questions about the Canterbury Tales. And he says, So close, the, close your books, and I'm going to give you a quiz. Well, after having failed that quiz and many other quizzes in my life, I started to realize, what is the purpose of the quiz 
One, the purpose of the quiz is to show me how little I know. And then secondly, it is to prepare me for the final exam. That the quiz is just to prepare me for something later on that is of much more importance than this little quiz. So Paul here, I believe, is giving a pop quiz to us. And the quiz is this, that in this letter he gives this scathing quiz. The desire of this quiz is much the same as, as mine on Jeffrey Chaucer was. It was to show us, to show you, to show me that I don't know what, I, what it is that I don't know. But mostly, it is so that we would do well on the final exam. So today, I give you this quiz. There's going to be some essay questions mixed in there. Uh, there'll be some multiple choice questions in there. And from a study of Galatians chapter 3, Paul is going to give us the answers. But he's going to grill us first. He's going to quiz us hard first. And here's the thing. How you and I live is going to reveal whether or not we pass the final exam. Because you can't just hear it and know and gain knowledge to pass the exam. You can't just know. You have to live it. That's how you know if you pass the final exam. So, let's go back to Galatians 3, verse 1. Oh, foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? It was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. You see, the word bewitched, I, I, I pondered on that, and I, I wrote it down, and I thought all the thoughts that I thought on what that meant was to be fooled, to be beguiled, to be bewitched, to be, you know, to be sort of this uh, dark, satanic sort of thing. And it, it really boils down to this, that, that the meaning of that word is fascinated. So Paul would say, you foolish Galatians, who fascinated you? They fascinated you with something else. You've known the truth of the gospel, but somebody has fascinated you with an addition to it. Well, the question that, that Paul is asking is like a follow-up question, I think, of a question that is asked by the enemy of the gospel. The enemy of the gospel, he asks us some good questions. And they're ones that we answer. Every one of you would answer yes to this question. But the enemy is the one that asks it more often than God asks it of us. The enemy would ask us this question. Do you long for a deeper spiritual experience with God? All of us in the room would say, yes, I do long for a deeper spiritual experience with God. But you see, the great enemy asked that question too. He asked that question to trip us up. He asked that question of Eve to trip her up in Genesis. In Genesis 3, verse 1, he says, Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God actually say you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, You shall not surely die, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. The trick of the enemy. Do you want to be more spiritual? Salvation can't be just Christ alone and the finished work of the cross, can it? That's what, that's what the, 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 the religious Jews would try to tell the Galatians, that they had received this free gift of salvation from God that only God could do, only God could save them, and God saved them and, and opened their eyes to see 
the truth of, uh, of who God is for them. He opened their eyes, he opened their heart, and they were changed. And these religious would come and say, but do you want to go deeper? Because if you want to go deeper, you will believe the gospel plus, plus, you will follow the Mosaic law. You'll have a deeper spiritual walk if you do so. You see, it's the same old trick. He uses the same tricks. He's got one playbook, right? Our enemy has one playbook. But he uses those things that we, we know, that we, that we desire. Because I, I believe that all of us would desire to say, yes, I want to walk deeper with the Lord. I want to go into the deep things that God would have for me. I really do. But here's the thing. He'll tell you that there's something new. And I've always heard this, and I believe this, that if it's brand new, it isn't true. And if it's true, it's not new. Doesn't line up with what the gospel of Jesus Christ says. Doesn't line up with that which has saved me. Because I knew when I was saved. I knew the answer to that question of how I was saved. I know the answer. I, I have the answer. This is one quiz that I cannot fail. I know the answer for me. But I want you to know for sure the answer. And, and Paul here wants the Galatians to know for sure the answer to that question of how is it that you were saved. By what are you saved? Well, let's look at verse 2 through 5 here. Let me ask you only this. So, I love how he does this. Let me ask you only this. And then he's got a plethora of questions. Okay, good. So, here's the quiz. Let me ask you only this. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by the hearing with faith? Are you so foolish, having begun by the Spirit? Are you now being perfected by the flesh? Did you suffer so many things in vain, if indeed it was in vain? Does he who supplies the Spirit to you and work miracles among you do so by the works of the law or by hearing with faith? So there's the pop quiz. I'm checking in with you. I want to see, and that's the pop quiz for us. It's checking in with us. Do we know what it is by which we were saved? Do we know that we receive the Spirit by faith, by a promise of God? And not of ourselves. Do we know this? Well, he would say to them too. He says, you know, uh, you have heard of Christ's atoning work on the cross for you, but you heard it secondhand. So think about this. You heard this secondhand. You didn't see him on the cross. You didn't see him after he was risen. You did not see him. And yet, you believed. And you believe that report without first-hand knowledge. How do you suppose you came to understand that, that his crucifixion has set you free? How do you suppose that you came to know this? <laughs> Paul's answer, of course, is that it was by faith. But it was given to you that God sacrificed his son for you. That you understand you have been set free. It was a gift given to you by God's revelation to you. And it's nothing else. It is by faith alone, through grace alone, in Christ alone, to the glory of God alone. Underneath the authority of Scripture alone, is it not? That is what it is. So he's asking them these tough questions. And then he tells them, he says, You've suffered, Galatians, for proclaiming that salvation comes by grace through faith and not of works. So then, was your suffering in vain? Did you suffer needlessly if there's salvation in any other thing? If your salvation came... From faith in Jesus Christ plus circumcision, then you suffered in vain. Because you proclaimed the 
exclusiveness of the gospel of Jesus Christ and his saving work, you would have suffered in vain. Now we come to my favorite question of all that is in our text today and, and what we're going to think about. And I want us to think about this. This is, this is a multiple point, uh, choice question. This is the one that's going to be on the final exam. This is the one that if you are indeed in Christ, at the final exam, you can't get it wrong. You, there's no way in the world that if you are in Christ Jesus right now today, that you can get this wrong when you go to the final exam. But I'm going to ask it of you as a pop quiz because the thing is, I want you to ask this question of yourself next week, next month, next year, 10 years from now. I want you to keep asking yourself this question to spur you on so that you know 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 that when you are face to face with the God of the universe, that you will pass the final exam. So, here is the multiple choice question. To what do you owe your position in Christ? Well, A, I fill out a decision card at an event. B, I walked down an aisle at church a couple of times because I was broken hearted that my sin had found me out. Could it be that? Could it be C, that God revealed himself to me by his word and gave me faith to believe in the sufficiency of Christ's life, death, and resurrection for my salvation? Or could it be D, I made an evaluation of all the possible options and God seemed like the best choice? That's the question you're going to answer. You are going to answer that on the final exam. A, B, C, or D. If you're wrong today, if you're wrong today, it's okay. There's still time. Because I'm going to keep telling you. And Paul is going to keep telling you. He's going to keep telling you the right answer. Again and again and again. But this is a hard examination question, really. It really is. It's, it's a deep examination question. It seems as though, on the surface, it seems sort of silly. I filled out a card, a decision card in an event. I'm saved. I walked down the aisle a couple of times because I felt really bad that I got caught. And I knew I needed forgiveness. And I felt really bad, so I walked forward. And therefore, I'm saved. Because my sin had found me out, and I'm sorry about it, and I feel bad. Or God revealed himself to me by his word. And he gave me faith to believe in him. He gave me faith to believe in the sufficiency of Christ's life, his death, and his resurrection is all that was necessary for my salvation. That's the answer, right? That's the answer. But it isn't this, of course, that we, being such clever people, made an evaluation of all the possible options. And as we look at all the options, this God thing seemed like it's probably the best one. And so, therefore, I chose that. Well, you might have made a good choice in, in looking at those things. Because I would say that, in my, in my view, I say that weighing all the possible options, I say that that is a great choice, if you make that choice. But when you're at the final exam, when you have made it to the final exam, the answer will not be that. The answer will be that God revealed himself to you. And that he did so by his word, and that he gave you faith to believe in the sufficiency of Christ. 
and what his life, death, and resurrection meant for you for your salvation. So, let's move forward here in verse 6. Just as Abraham believed God, it was accounted to him as righteousness. Know then that it is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham, and the scripture foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, In you shall all the nations be blessed. So then, those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. You see, what he says here is that there's nothing new. Salvation in Christ is not a brand new story. I'm not telling you Gentiles this as though it was a new way. It has always been the way that salvation came by faith through grace. That it was a gift of God. It's always been that way. And it was a promise of God that he would send his son for you. That has been from time immemorial. That has been the plan of God. He says the Old Testament example here confirms what you know experientially. He's telling you the Old Testament tells you what you know. It tells you what you already have experienced in this salvation in Christ, that it was one of faith, that it was a gift of God. Paul would say this that to the Galatians, that as it was found in Genesis 15, it teaches that through genuine faith, not the law, is one counted righteousness. It's through genuine faith. And where did that faith come from? Now, we get to the part of where he's giving the exam, and then Paul's going to give a lecture He's going to give a short little lecture. He gives a lot of questions and then he gives a short little lecture to kind of firm this up for us and for them. Verse 10. For all who rely on the works of the law are under a curse. For it is written, curse be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law and do them. Now it is evident that no one is justified before God by the law. For the righteous shall live by faith. But the law is not of faith. Rather, the one who does them shall live by faith. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who is hanged on the tree. So that in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles, so that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. You see, he says here, there's other Old Testament examples. Go back as far as Abraham. But here, there's other examples in the Old Testament. In Leviticus, in Deuteronomy, in Habakkuk, they teach us that any attempt to be justified by the law leads to a curse for us. And the same thing we talked about last week. Any way that we try to justify ourselves just further entraps us and imprisons us and locks us in when Christ indeed has set us free and has given us the faith to believe. Why would we add anything to that? When he says here that Christ Jesus became a curse for us that we might become the righteousness of God in him. So then again, salvation comes by grace through faith, not of works. So no one can boast. Glory belongs only to God in our salvation. Glory belongs only to God. Skip ahead here to verse 18. For if the inheritance comes by the law, it no longer comes by promise. But God gave it to Abraham by a promise. Why then the law? It was added because of transgressions until the offspring should come to whom the promise had been made. And was put in place through angels by an intermediary. Now an intermediary implies more than one, but God is one. Is the law then contrary to the promises of God? Certainly not. For if a law had been given that could give life, then righteousness would indeed be by the law. But the scripture imprisoned everything under sin, so that the promise by faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe. Notice it's given, right? It is given by God. Now, before faith came, we were held captive under the law, imprisoned until the coming faith would be revealed. So then the law was our guardian until Christ came, in order that we might be justified by faith. 
But now that faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian, for in Christ Jesus you are all sons of God through faith. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ, there is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is no male or female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to the promise. Have you been given faith to believe? Have you been given faith to believe? You see that God is no respecter of persons, is he? You see, in all of this, it doesn't matter where you were born. It doesn't matter what gender you were born with. It doesn't matter. Because he says here that if you are in Christ, Christ has indeed set you free. And that you are his and you are an heir of the promise that he gave to Abraham. You see, our salvation was received by us as an inheritance. A promise made by God. And you think about this. Should we throw the baby out of the bathwater? There's a thing about that. That sometimes we would throw, we would tend to, my salvation is not of works. I can't do anything to earn it. I can't add anything to the gospel of Jesus Christ to save me. I can't be any more saved than I'm saved right now. I can't. The enemy would say, you want to be more spiritual, then do this. Add this to that. It's, it's this plus something else. Or... It's not complete. Whatever he might tell us that, that would make us more spiritual. And so we tend to throw the baby out of the bathwater and say that the law of God was no good. It kept us. It kept us until God gave us the promise, right? It kept us. The law was good. And it is good. It's perfect. God's law is absolutely perfect. Because it's God's law that pointed us to our need of him. To our need of salvation. So then we come to the, the, the greatest question on the quiz. And this is the one that's going to help us. This is the one that's going to help us get an A on the final exam. And our A is this. Well done, my good and faithful servant. This is, this is the one. How do we live in light of the promise and the truth that nothing can be added to my salvation? How do I live? Although I cannot add to my salvation, we can add to faith. We can add to faith. We can add to the faith that we've received. And the reason why we would add to our faith that we've received is that we would know that our calling of God and our divine election is sure. We must be prepared for our final exam. How do we prepare for the final exam? Well, Peter gives us a great answer. In 2 Peter chapter 1, beginning in verse 3, he says, His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of Him who called us to His own glory and excellence, by which He has granted to us His precious and very great promises, so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. For this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue, and virtue with knowledge, and knowledge with self-control, and self-control with steadfastness, and steadfastness with godliness, and godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, I would underline that time and time again, maybe three underlines, and an asterisk, and then highlight it, because I think it's really important that if these qualities are yours and they are increasing, means that we are to be doing something. We can't just sit back 
and say, Christ has set me free and I'm saved and now I can live like hell and do whatever I want to. That's not the point at all. That's not the point at all. God forbid that be the point. He tells us here, clearly Peter, uh, yeah, Peter says that, that if these things are yours and they are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he is blind, having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. Therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election, for if you practice these qualities, you will never fall. For in this way there will be richly provided for you an entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. See, he tells you, here it is. You can and will pass the final exam. I've given you the faith to believe in Jesus Christ. I've given you a job to do. Add to your faith virtue and knowledge. Pursue after me, he would say. Don't just be complacent to say that I am saved and therefore I am done. No, not at all. Pursue after me. Pursue the qualities that Christ himself possesses. Was Christ virtuous? Indeed. Was Christ Filled with the knowledge of God. Indeed. Was Christ able to exercise self-control? Indeed he was. Indeed he was. Because he was indeed God. Right? And he chose to lay that aside. That takes some self-control. Doesn't it? When that when that when the thief on the cross says, get yourself down from there if you're the savior of the world, he had every power to do so, and did not. He possessed Self-control. Steadfastness. What is steadfastness? It is like what I've been preaching for a year. It is doggedly sticking to the basics. Doggedly saying that, that, that as our Acts 2.42 says, what are we about? We are about the apostles' doctrine, fellowship, the breaking of bread, and prayer. And we don't need to add a whole bunch of other funky stuff to that. We were steadfast, steadfast, he says, continuing, continually, steadfastly in the Apostles' Doctrine, saying that I am going to be underneath the Word of God. That is steadfastness. And he says to add that is godliness. What do you think being steadfast in the Word of God will do to you? Will it not make you godly? Will it not increase godliness in you? If you are steadfast about what God's word says, about submitting yourself to his word. See, it's not this guy, pick yourself up by your bootstraps and push forward and become more godly. Being steadfast in the apostles of doctrine will lead us to godliness. It'll lead us to those things. Ah, he says this, brothers, be all more diligent to confirm your calling election. For if you practice these qualities, you will never fail. For in this way, we will richly provided for you an entrance into the eternal kingdom of heaven of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. That is the word of God, isn't it? That is what he says to us, is pursue Christ. Pursue him. He pursued you. He pursued me. The God of the universe saw simple Jeff and simple heaven. And he said this, it's impossible. Those guys will never, ever become righteous. They will never, ever 
do the will of God. They just will not do it. I know. I'll do it for them. I will come down and insert myself into human history. I will come down and live amongst them. I will show them that the authority of Scripture is lived out in me in the person of Jesus Christ. I will do that right before their eyes. I will take upon the curse that they deserve. I will take that on myself on the cross. I will take their curse. And because I'll take their curse, I will impute to them my own righteousness that I had before time began with the Father. I will impute that to them. I will deposit it in their account. And they will be justified because I will give them the faith to believe that that is true. And then I'll set my mark on them. I will set my mark on them by rising from the grave after three days to show that not only did I pay for their sin, but I paid for it forever. And that they can walk in the truth that I am alive, that I am a God who is alive, who is making intercession for their failures day in and day out. I am the one rebuking the enemy when the enemy says, do you know Jeff, he says this stuff that man, he's a sinful guy and he makes a lot of mistakes. Yes, I know that guy, but I paid for it. He is covered. And he is pursuing after me. He's pursuing after these attributes that I have given him. I have given this to him and he's pursuing after them. And he's adding to that faith. And they are increasing. And guess what? Then you see the evidence of fruitfulness in our lives. There's evidence. Is there evidence that you have been saved by Jesus Christ through faith? Is there evidence in your life? That's the question. That's the question that's going to be answered on the final exam. And you're going to get it right. And you know why you're going to get it right? You're going to get it right when you stand up before the God of the universe and you say, I couldn't save myself. I couldn't do it. But you gave me faith to believe you did it. You gave me faith to believe you did it. And our God will look upon us and say, well done, my good and faithful servant. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your word. I thank you for the time that we got to spend together. I pray right now that you are doing a work in our lives and that you would um, cause us to be motivated toward pursuing after you, to add to our faith those attributes of godliness, self-control, steadfastness, that we might bear fruitful lives that tell the truth of the gospel just by, by the, the low-hanging fruit that comes from just us being uh, in the world and not of the world, us interacting with one another, that, that that fruit might be evident in our lives. To your praise and to your glory, in Jesus' name, amen. Amen.